You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredsBS.com. That's Breads and Spreads by Fred. Guys, it's warming up, so why not treat yourself to the change in weather with some delicious baked goods? And what you need to do is go to fredsbs.com because he has some special goodies that are not found in regular stores. Trust me when I say you don't have to go to a weird, deserted, magical island and blow open a hatch in order to get access to special Dharma initiative sort of branded cookies. You don't have to do that. Instead, you just have to go to fredsbs.com and use the coupon code no love lost to get 20% off of your order for amazing treats like brown sugar buddies uh, and blondies and all sorts of delicious awesome jams and oh gosh he's he's got some really good seasonal stuff coming up Fred's BS features items that are fresh, never frozen. They come in small batches. And guys, for LA customers, you can actually waive the delivery free and go pick it up for free. So guys, head on over to fredsbs.com. Oh, and also, also for you LA locals, he may in fact have some pies in stock coming soon. I've had the pleasure of trying his uh, freshly baked apple pies. And trust me when I say they are delicious. I'm normally a pecan pie person, uh, but this was some amazing apple pie. So just a heads up for what you guys are in for. Uh, so again, go to fredsbs.com, use that coupon code NOLOVELOST to get 20% off of your order. All right, guys. Well, go get yourself some treats and get comfortable because this is going to be a fun one. Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island I would like to see the polar bears There was a crash And there are others And there are numbers And it all means something So doesn't anybody even know There are times we hang our heads In sadness we know There's no love We had to go back. Debatable. I mean, Megan, if you're out there on a raft and it explodes, you have to go back. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, the sharks are an option, honestly. Uh, (laughs) Sharks might have been a better alternative than going back. Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast where we debate about the show to where there is no debate. It's the greatest show in the history of the medium that is television. Much Lost. of what you just said is false. <laughs> um, just the part that we debate was correct, right? We get, uh, can we get Snopes to check that last statement? Pretty please. Uh, I am Will Link, and with me as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we are here to talk about Season 2, Episode 2, Adrift. This is a fun one. Like, I don't know how I feel about the structure of this episode, per se. Maybe, was this one of those ones where it aired back-to-back with episode one? No. Okay, like, I don't know how I feel about the structure of this, knowing that it is a week apart. Well, I was going to say that this, to me, is 
where the series starts to do a thing that sometimes it does well and sometimes it does badly and it's the way they split up their stories and their Mm -hmm. characters particularly stories that are all happening at the same time uh i'm fine with it in this episode but you're gonna see a lot of this at the beginning of season three Mm -hmm. where your characters are really divided let's split up gang and yeah and and and, and this is really now characters are split up and on their own in a way that they haven't been before yeah because everybody was pretty centralized like the most people were divided were like People who are over at the caves versus, yeah. versus the people who or are over at the beach. Or they'd go out on a mission yeah. to, like, the Black Rock but or to find the French woman. But, like, everyone was aware of the mission. Yeah. Everybody was still in the loop. Like, the only time where that wasn't the case was when Claire went missing. And even then, like, you know, that was, that was sort of an outlier sort yeah. of situation. Um, I think I have to agree with you where I think it works – really well here but if you're not careful your storytelling could easily fall apart so I could definitely see you know a scenario later in the series like season four season three getting an episode like this and me rolling my eyes going oh this again but I usually like this isn't necessarily a Rashomon because Rashomons are the same events played out from different perspectives but I do like when there's a story and you get one person's side of it and then you're you're missing context and then you get another person's side and you're like, oh, there's the additional context. Well, I love what's going on with the Desmond stuff in the hatch for that very reason. Like, that's really, really cool. But that's not even the heart of this it's episode. It's not. Maybe, maybe that's why it felt a little off to me was that the heart of this episode was on the raft versus like right after that big cliffhanger with the hatch it it's not bad and I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say this right now this is a good solid episode i'm just saying it was i was like oh like that even though i've seen this episode before i was like that was a little unexpected um it, it, it's funny because in my memory this raft stuff that was going on was like the only thing in the episode. Yeah. Like if I were if you were to say like what happens in a drift, <laughs> I would not have remembered. I mean, I remembered that the Desmond story was told from like kind of a different point of view, but I would have assumed that was a whole other episode for this yeah, very same reason. Here. Same here. Um well this episode is written by Stephen Medea and Leonard Dick and directed by Stephen Williams. Okay. Uh well done everybody again this is a solid episode um well let's um you know uh, let's get the flashback out of the way it's with this sure one. and straightforward it's very simple it's funny i have like three sets of notes for this episode and normally if i'm tracking three different storylines it's like oh that's a lot to track but all my notes are very short because all i would say all the storylines are very straightforward. Even the Desmond stuff isn't because yeah. it's not building too much more on what we had learned last yeah, week. Yeah, it's, it's literally getting us to the point where we left off. So maybe after some marathon episodes, this will end up being the shortest episode. <laughs> I, I mean, doubt maybe. it. I doubt it. <laughs> I don't know. In the flashback, <laughs> even though it's straightforward, there might be a lot to talk about because 
a certain character we haven't seen in a long time comes back. The greatest monster in the history of the series. Okay, well... It opens in the flashback with, um, not the episode, but the, the the flashback opens with Michael talking to a lawyer. A lawyer played by the terrific Sal Rubinek, who I feel is kind of, he's this really terrific actor who's kind of a little wasted in this part. <laughs> I, I mean, we don't really get any other flashbacks with michael's lawyer do we because no. yeah he seems like kind of a waste and he's a, he's a, he's a great actor you've seen him in in so many movies like uh uh unforgiven and true romance he, he's you've seen him on other tv shows like I mean, frazier but but lost has also kind of done that with they his character with... actors like robert patrick, robert patrick and... yeah <laughs> and um, yeah, there are, there are a couple, there are a handful of character actors who show up in Lost basically to wave at the camera and then walk away. Yeah, I mean, I would have done that if I was an actor and be like, mean, I get to oh, be on Lost. Especially after season one and how good it was, you bet your ass I would have done anything to be on you Lost. You also probably assumed there was a high possibility, well, I'll be back, they'll need Michael's lawyer again. <laughs> For all I know, he does pop up again, but I don't remember him, and he's a recognizable person. But anyway, basically, Michael has been asked to relinquish his rights to Walt, uh, which the the one problem is we know he does yeah. ahead yeah. of time. So there's no real dramatic tension there in that regard. But basically, his lawyer, played by Sal Rubinek, is like, okay, one... I know you're hurting for money if you're coming to, to me because he's a bottom-of-the-barrel type lawyer. He gets Michael's name wrong at one <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he says, like, this is like a real David and Goliath thing and you're going to need a lot of money. And Michael's basically like, whatever it takes. Now, I do have to ask. You pointed out that there aren't the, the dramatic stakes because we ultimately know the outcome, that they're not there. I do want to ask if you felt the same with Jack's flashback episode uh in the last episode that we covered because that one was a life and death situation where we ultimately knew that he was going to save this woman's life that she was going to be able to walk again and that and that like the her relationship wasn't going to work out uh because they ended up getting married at one point i think the difference is the mechanics of the situation okay we know there's only one way that this can go down michael loses or chooses to give up Walt. Yeah. With the And Jack- whether it's a it's an ugly courtroom situation or whether they they find an amiable route um those are the two options. With with the Jack situation uh you know, we know he does fix her but we don't necessarily know how. Or we don't necessarily know he's the the one or will he I mean, I guess we do because she said he she said it but but, but we but, weren't but, expecting him we weren't expecting a miracle we didn't know how this would go down yeah uh we didn't know what would become of her her ex-fiance things like that i think there was a little bit more up for grabs now what i do think works is uh, i said the dramatic stakes aren't high but the emotions are high the emotions yeah. work and oh that's what this flashback is really all about because the next time we cut to it uh you know we're we're basically 
we're getting a little bit of a refresher on what happened. Like she had, you know, she had taken Walt to Amsterdam already. Michael hadn't seen him in 14 months. Susan's lawyer has really given it to Michael. Yeah. And, you know, a little, I mean, you could argue a little unfairly. Well, she's doing what a lawyer does. And whether we could debate the the morality behind that till the cows come home. But, like, at the end of the day, any lawyer's job is to do what you need to do to protect your client. And that's exactly what this woman was doing. She was establishing a case of Michael hasn't been there. He doesn't, you know, he relied on his ex for financial, you know, for financial matters. He, from a certain perspective, has no rights to this kid. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because I guess a lot of this, and I guess the show doesn't necessarily make you have to decide, but is Michael a good father? He tries. I, I, mean, I think later on down the line, my answer is maybe he's trying his best to be a good father, but later on down the line, I'm like, he's not a good person. But he wasn't a good father that he didn't see his son for 14 months. I mean, I guess he was in the hospital well, the, for the, some of that. We, we have additional context for that. He always tried his best. Susan, in the last episode, was painted as a monster. We very much embraced the narrative of she's a monster in this scenario. But, Here, But yeah. she paid his bills. She paid his hospital bills. To be a manipulative monster. <laughs> um, and, and that's the thing is, that, yeah, this lawyer is taking a lot of, you know, she's doing a lot of low blows. But what's interesting is... Talking about like talking about the acting and the emotion of this scene and how much emotion drives this narrative. Looking at Susan during this entire thing, where Michael starts like talk, you know, addressing her by name, and then you know her lawyer goes, "Don't address my client, like address me," and just seeing how uncomfortable she is, like as her lawyer is going, like, "Well, when was the last time you saw her son, your son?" What's his favorite food? All these other questions. And the answer to these questions, even though the lawyer is like, there is no answer. No, the answer is Susan took this boy away from Michael. So of course he doesn't know the answer to any of these questions because she stood in the she stood in between them and Susan knows that. And you know she feels guilty for it, but she's also not sorry. So that's that's such a weird set of conflicting emotions because she clearly like doesn't regret her choice because in her mind it probably is the best thing for Walt but she knows on some level that it's wrong well let me then let's just jump to the very next scene because so when Susan comes to Michael because then eventually Susan comes to Michael and she's basically like you're gonna win which I don't even know if she believes that Here's the, but here's with, the perfect thing is like is this being her her being genuine or yes. is it manipulation? That's what I was gonna ask because she comes and says, "Oh, is uh, like why do you even want this? Like you're such a great artist. Like like she's basically, playing to his vanity. Basically, like your son's gonna hold you back, but I can take all this responsibility away well, from you. And, so, but yeah. part of her, I mean, she." Okay, here are things that are legitimate. She does have a legitimate relationship with uh, Brian. She does have a legitimate big job opportunity. 
she she will is, be able to provide for Walt. He yeah, will want in for a nothing way, except for maybe friends. I don't know. <laughs> His high school situation seemed real weird. But I mean, so there's, so I could see where she would legitimately think. But so then it's like, how much of this conversation is just her manipulating, and how much is? I mean, I guess it's a little bit of both, but. Man, yes. you could really look at this two different oh, ways. You absolutely could. And we are already like I feel like based on the last time we talked about her, we are like the an- team anti Susan. Yeah. <laughs> so like You're not my, winning this over, Susan. My knee jerk reaction was to look at it from a manipulative lens. Um, that being said, she could very as time goes on <clears throat> and we get more Michael flashbacks because I I distinctly remember one set of Michael flashbacks making me uncomfortable. Um, it's it's later on down the line. I don't remember when it is, but it's at a very dark period in his life where it showed me a different perspective where I was like, oh, maybe Susan had a point because he he hit rock bottom at one point and was not in a good place. And um, that's that's a discussion for a different day, though. We don't have that context yeah. yet. And to an extent, I don't know if the writers had that context yet either um, because they didn't know what path Michael well, was going to go down. Michael goes down an interesting um, path, to say the least, yeah. on this series. So I don't know if they had that context yet, but it, it certainly colors a little bit of my view of Susan here because what if, what I know from later on down the line, she might legitimately just be trying to protect herself and her son. Because like I said, Michael goes off the deep end for a little bit. Um, but with with this particular scene, without that added context, I look at this and I'm like, she's making a lot of logical points. You're, you're absolutely right. She brings up a lot of good stuff. One, one of which I think is very important. You can't take care of anybody else until you take care of yourself. I, I firmly believe that that is a true yeah, statement. That is true. Um, and she's, she, like you said, she brings up a lot of good points, but she does it in a way where ultimately, you know, she's coming into this because she wants to walk away from it with Walt. She, and that's the thing, is that Susan always gets what she wants. This is why she's probably a fantastic lawyer. She knows what she wants, and she knows how to read someone to figure out how to get it. She And that's what she does with Michael here. And, and that's what she does with Michael in just about every flashback sequence. She convinces him that they need to be separated. She convinces him that to take her money she convinces him here to drop the to drop the legal matter and that's the thing is that all of this is more of an inconvenience to her than anything else she straight up says i don't want to go to court it is a bothersome thing for her and nothing else i think i think she's full-on lying when she says i think you're gonna win because we know that his lawyer is the bottom of the barrel and also, like he was kind of humiliated in that the, the, that in that deposition. In my opinion, the and the, you know they weren't married. In my opinion, the only ground Michael had to stand on when when it comes to a court of law is whatever sympathy he could drum up from the judge or a, I think yeah I think the judge because I don't think a jury would be involved no, in I this. Don't think they, the, yeah, this, it's like family court. I legit think that the only thing he could do is drum up sympathy from a judge 
but like everything else, he's basically going up against two lawyers who have enough money to hire another lawyer <laughs> to represent yeah. them in a personal matter. Like she's just doing this because it's one more roadblock that just needs to be set aside. And it works. I don't know. Do you feel differently? Do you think that she really thinks she's doing the right thing? No, she knows this is this is shitty. Okay. She so no, no, I'm I'm 100% on the same page here because she know she knows it's shitty. But she knows it's both shitty and she also thinks it's best for him. I I think it's all not necessarily best for Michael. I don't know if she really but she believes it's best for Walt and her. And she knows, she knows what she's doing. I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's so. Like, I think it's a mix of all these things. I, I, I've been through breakups, but I've never been through a divorce. And and granted, they're not divorced either. But I've never been in a situation where like a lawyer had to come between me and somebody I used to be in love with. Yeah. And I know that I know a couple people who. Um, and we've talked about this before. I know people who, you know, their their parents got divorced and their parents used them as pawns to, like, Jeez. get back at one another. And, like, that's disgusting to me. And I, I know you said your parents were divorced, but they, they got on very amiably. Yeah, I mean, I never remember my parents fighting, and I don't think I was used as a pawn in any situation. <laughs> and if I was, I was never aware of it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That's the thing is, to me, this sounds like somebody who wants to put a certain part of her life behind her. And the best way she sees that is by cutting Michael out of her life completely. Because in her mind, she's like, oh, he can be this amazing artist and then I can go and do my thing. Because as we know, we, we knew that she never believed that they were going to work from the get-go. Guy she's with, though, he's not good for Walt. He no. wants nothing to do with Walt. Well, granted, Eventually. At, this, at this point, it might be okay because Walt's, Walt's not creepy, creepy powers yet. haven't manifested yet. Maybe he's, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's like a fire starter Walt situation where he's hearing him soaking wet in the middle of a. Speaking in backwards <laughs> messages. <laughs> I do wonder if, like, at one point when, like, Susan wasn't home, if Brian had, like, a fire starter situation on his hands. Where, like, Walt just caused something to spontaneously combust. But, um, she but yeah, she, to me, yeah, it just seems like she's trying to cut Michael out of their lives in the most painless way possible. And whether that's painless for her or painless for everyone involved, I don't know. Everything she does to me reads as real manipulative, but there might be some good intent there. I don't know. This is, this is why her performance is so good. Like, the, the actress who plays she's her. She's very good. She's excellent. Because, yeah, you can read it as somebody with good intentions where, you know, two people, they don't work out and their lives go in different directions. Or you could read it as to, uh, history's yeah. greatest monster. Which I'm full on board for Susan worse than Ben, worse than the man in black. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I, I well, and she's she, dead, so we're never ever gonna get she, her perspective. She does let him say goodbye in the yeah. park. Michael brings Walt a stuffed polar bear. That was kind of funny. Um, he likes bears, right? 
<laughs> and it's just, a, I mean, honestly, I don't have too much to say about that scene because it's just a very sweet scene. And Michael, yeah, and, says, and it, you know, he, he, because he, he, here's the thing, and this is the other thing that Susan's able to play into. Because Michael hasn't been around, Michael himself has a whole bunch of doubts of being a parent, which we see play out on the island so, as he's yeah. as he's older, as Walt's older, but. You know, he had doubts then. Yeah, I mean, when he's in introducing himself, it takes him a long time to say your dad. Like he he stumbles over it in the in, during the 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 meeting with the lawyers. He was he had to repeat, "I'm his father," you know, for the record. Um, but here, standing in front of Walt. He has a hard time saying, it's "I'm real your father." Then. Yeah, it's not some abstract idea that he's like he's it's, there in front of. It's his a son. child who's looking at him like he's a stranger because he is a stranger, and you know the mom has to go, "Oh, I'm sorry, he's very shy." Like I can't tell you how many times I've been introduced to little kids, and it's like, "Oh, you know, it's okay. They're they're shy. Like don't don't worry about it." That's what you do to a stranger who's never yeah. met your kid before. I. Uh... I couldn't imagine, couldn't imagine like having a kid and then just not seeing them. No, that's Im- it's impossible to fathom for me. Yeah. Um, but the like this whole you're right. There's not really much to unpack here in terms of lore or anything like that. But like, it's all it's, emotion. It's all emotion, and I gotta tell you, the the transitions in this episode are freaking on point. Because the the uh, it's a rare moment of humanity from Susan for one because you can tell looking at her looking at the hurt on Michael's face you like this is one of the rare moments where you genuinely see like she knows what she's doing is wrong. Well, and also all the it, it play, like you're saying it plays great with the island stuff or yeah. I should say the ocean stuff for them because it, it Michael. All- He's coming to terms while he's on that broken raft that, like, he faces responsibility in this situation, too. I mean, so much of that storyline is him shitting on Sawyer for, I feel, no good. I feel this is... Sawyer's a guy that you could shit on for a lot of things, but... Not not in this case. Sawyer's getting it too hard. Uh, Yeah, this is... This is all, you know, what this ultimately leads up to is Michael telling Walt, no matter what, I will always love you. No matter what, no matter how far away you are, no matter where you go, I will always love you. And as they walk away, he, you know, he, the tears start to come. And kudos to the editing and the sound team because the sound of Michael's intake of breath as like the tears start to come yeah. moves seamlessly into the next scene of him weeping on the raft at the tail end of the raft side of the of the story. So yeah. excellent way to tie all of that together. That was it was fucking beautiful. It's got it's a well edited show. Yeah. They know what they're doing with sound on this show. They know what they're they, know, they don't know what they're doing with the mysteries, but they know what they're doing with the emotion and the editing and the, all the technical side of the stuff. It's it's why I feel so conflicted about Lost because it's so well crafted. It's so well crafted from a technical standpoint and from a story standpoint, except for when it's not. <laughs> That's where the where it's I find myself so frustrated. 
Okay, so let's get to the rap. Let's get to the rap. We're done with you, Susan. Get out of here. <laughs> Glad you're dead. <laughs> so we cut back. It, well, the, the episode opens with the aftermath of the raft exploding. Chaos. It's utter chaos. People are screaming. Dude. People are, you know, that everyone's thrashing about in the water. It's tough to tell what the hell is even happening. And Sawyer pulls Michael up onto part of the broken raft. You know, so, with a gunshot wound and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, Sawyer's got the gunshot wound, but he's still giving Michael CPR. He also must scream Mike yeah. 5,000 times in this sequence. I wrote it down. He screams moment. Mike more than Mike screams Walt. <laughs> he is screaming Mike so much. And it's funny because we're always talking about Michael. So it keeps throwing me hearing Sawyer say Mike. But like he gives everyone nicknames. I know, but, but still, but it's like. It's weird because we we haven't heard anybody else call him Mike. Yeah. So it is like, whoa. It's like, uh, Mike, Mike. Which is so which is so funny because, like, I don't know. I, I've known Michaels growing up, and, I you know, we talked about this last week in terms of names. Like, they've gone by Mike and Mikey and Michael, and, like, they'll respond to anything. So it's funny that <laughs> it's funny to hear Sawyer use something we're not accustomed to. Although I will say, holy cow, again, Kudos to the acting, and I will say that about this series until the very end. Kudos to the acting, because um, both Josh Holloway and, um, oh gosh. Harold. Harold. Uh, uh, who, I have trouble who, saying as, as we determined last, <laughs> in a, a couple episodes ago, we don't know how to pronounce his last yeah, name. Yeah, no, I mean, I know what the name is. I just have trouble. Perineu, Perineu. I've been, uh, I've gone trick-or-treating to his house. <laughs> they sell the agony in these sequences. Yeah. Like, like you really get the sense that um, Sawyer, like, there's a lot of despair and a lot of pain going on. And, and again, it's cool to see Sawyer at the very beginning of this sequence going out of his way to save Michael um, and, you know, calling out for Jin because... As we know, Sawyer is he's a con man with a heart of gold, but everything we've seen uh, from him up to this point has been very selfish. And even Michael is like, oh, you know, so you can save yourself. Um, but Sawyer did take that bullet trying to protect. Yeah. Sawyer Sawyer protect did them. everything he could to protect them. And so like it's one of those scenes where we know Sawyer deep down is a good person. He's a dick, but Deep down, he's a good person. This is the first time I feel like other people are starting to see it, too. But, like, you know, again, you have to peel back all the layers of sarcasm and bullshit yeah. before you get to that good person. But, he, again, he's the type of person who, with a gunshot wound, is still diving to into the ocean to try to save a cohort. Like, not yeah. necessarily a friend, but, like, a companion. Of he's not, Sawyer's not the kind of person... Sawyer is heroic, whether he yeah. wants to believe he is or not. He's a. I feel like he's a much better reluctant hero than Jack. Yeah, well, you know, he's the uh, he's the Han Solo of the series. There you go. There you go. I mean, go. he is. That's what <laughs> I mean. That's exactly what he is. He's a scoundrel, but he's maybe you know. that's why some of Jack's reluctant hero stuff rubs us the wrong way. Is we're like we already have one of those, the Han Solo over there, the charming guy. Yeah, and he's more charming than Jack. Although that's not fair. 
Jack can be very charming when he wants to be. That again, I feel bad like whenever we shit on Jack because he's not a bad character. Well, as the series goes on, he's going to be decidedly <laughs> less and less charming. That's true. I feel like I, we've already had peak charming Jack. <laughs> I carry with me the love that I feel for him in the pilot. I carry that through the end of the series, even when he doesn't deserve it anymore. Oh, by the end of the series, he's bringing me to tears, but I still have issues with him. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, but I, but because of that love and how good the pilot is, I always feel bad when we start to rag on him. But anyway, he's but not even what? in this sequence. Get out of here, Jack. Yeah, what if that's not bringing Jack into the middle of the ocean. <laughs> so Sawyer gets Michael then. Michael screaming for Walt. Sawyer points out that Walt can't hear you he's on a boat probably with a blanket and a cup of hot cocoa <laughs> yeah which is a great line he is i mean well i mean reality is walt is doing better than them i but, mean a lot better than them but like let's be honest can i am really sad uh, sorry i don't mean to interrupt i am really sad that we don't because production being what it is and because you know, the actor who played Walt grew up and everything like that. Big. I am really sad that we don't get a sequence in which Walt uses his amazing mind powers to just, like, own the others who just captured him. Yeah, that'd be pretty like, great. That would have been amazing, right? Where all of a sudden he just, like, throws them off the boat or, like, sets something on fire or manifests a polar bear or a flock of birds to just attack them. Like, there are so many things that could have been done with the notion that Walt has powers. But instead, no, we just have to watch it go off into the horizon. Bye. 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 Um, Never to be seen again. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, though, because Sawyer brings up a very logical point because there is no Walt is miles away at this point, probably. But Michael's I get Michael's point where he of says course. that I uh, I need to I need to try to let my son know I'm if I'm he looking. knows I'm alive. That means I'm OK and that I will. He knows I'll come for him. He's trying to connect it's, with his son who he's classically never been able to connect with yeah through again through no fault of his own um you know just the world being cruel has kept them apart and here when they're finally connecting the world has ripped them apart again so yeah it's it, it especially in conjunction with these scenes of you know him wanting to be there for his son in the past like it it is you're right. You're absolutely right. Like, the emotion of those flashback sequences work really well with what's going on yeah. in the here and now. It, it makes all those themes stronger of this connection between these two. And Sawyer is starts calling for Jin then, which yeah. makes more sense because Jin is probably in the vicinity. Which I'm, I'm a little disappointed that... And granted, I understand why, obviously, because... Walt is Michael's heart. Walt is, is is his whole world at this point. But Michael and Jin had been building up way more of a rapport than Sawyer and Jin ever had. So it it, it is a 
bummer to me that Sawyer has to be the one to point out to Michael, hey, you know that guy that you had been forming this bond with, that you guys had come to this mutual understanding but, despite your differences and despite the previous grievances that you had experienced? I'm calling out for him while you just shit on me for having gotten shot in well, the Well, that, that's the other thing. The, Michael is, and you're forgiving of it because his son has been kidnapped. Of course, but of course. He, is he's blamed Sawyer for them even coming to get him. Yeah. He blames, and I think it's later where Sawyer basically says, look, like, that boat clearly came from the island. They were looking for Walt. They would have found us. It's It was only, and it, it was, it was only a matter of time. And there, uh, you know, when the French woman said they were looking for a kid, yeah, this, this is, is what they must have been. Which is so funny because you know that was all a lie. Um, I'm just like I said, I'm I'm not. It totally makes sense within the context of this episode. If we're just looking at this episode in a vacuum, it totally makes sense. It's just sad to me that this right here is the indication that everything that had been built up between Sun. Jin and Michael well, has now officially been dropped. But now, does this also play into the? Does it play into the fact that you know that Michael is willing to stab every single one of his island quote-unquote yeah. friends in the back because we see uh, he will kill later. Yeah, and, all and, to get Walt. And this is this is the thing: is in a vacuum. This is fine, especially having just lost his son. Like, it makes total sense that he would forget about Jin in this moment. To me, from a meta perspective, from what I know later on down the line, this is the moment where all of that stuff between him, Jim, Jin, and son gets completely dropped for the... Uh, for what becomes the sole Michael arc of, Where's Walt?! Which is disappointing to me because all of that other stuff had been really compelling and really interesting. That being said, though, it's it does wonders for Sawyer's character. Like, I'm disappointed what it does for, for Michael's character, but I love what it does for Sawyer. Sawyer is great in this oh, episode. he's the goddamn MVP of this yeah, episode. Yeah, no, he is phenomenal in the way he handles it, his... his his jokes, his passion, his heroism, <laughs> everything about Sawyer in this episode Just is perfect. That moment when the shark comes up. So, yeah, yeah. that's the next thing that happens is they, they raft him. After Michael's telling Sawyer to get off the raft. Yeah, and it, you're the reason my son is gone. You made me fire the raft. Oh, you're only calling out for gin because you feel guilty. He then blames Sawyer for the shark. He's like, oh, <laughs> you're bleeding. You're bleeding. Of course, you're going to attract. Who uh, does that? <laughs> Michael is so terrible to Sawyer in this episode. He's so awful to him. Well, it, again, it's you know how we we talk about certain characters refusing to take responsibility for 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 their part in any given thing. This is Michael refusing to take responsibility for what's happened to Walt up until the end. And again, it's a very human response to not want to take responsibility for a terrible thing that happened or to not, you know. But like, yeah, Sawyer is literally bleeding from a gunshot wound that he got from your son's kidnappers. Like, why are you mad at him <laughs> that a yeah. shark showed up? He's literally, he could die. 
You both could die. What are you doing? Hey, watches him take the bullet out. Because eventually Sawyer does get on another piece of broken raft. And I, I do love, I do love Sawyer going, well, I guess I'll just stop bleeding. Yeah. Like, that's such a good line. But Sawyer, he takes the bullet out with his bare hands. I do. I Now, I was, I wanted to ask you, because Michael is like, there's no way you're going to be able to do that by yourself. Do you think that was his way of offering help? Or, to, or like, do you think that was just him, like, further trying to, like, poke at Sawyer to be like, you're an idiot. Like, I don't, don't think try. Michael was trying to offer help. But I do think it's interesting that even after he tells him to get off the raft, even Sawyer's on the other raft, Michael does keep talking to him. Yeah. Because there's part of him that knows that it's not Sawyer's fault. And there's part of him that knows that he's also probably going to need this guy. Like, they're going to have yeah. to... They're going to have to survive this. Yeah. Uh, but, man, Sawyer uses... But, I mean, in uh, reality, I would think he'd pass out from something like that. Well, though. he does. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> he does. But he gets it done first. Yeah. Um, and, again, this is what I'm talking about when it, when it comes to the acting. Like, the, the whole sequence where Sawyer saves Michael and then this whole moment where he's ripping out the bullet by hand. Like, one, Sawyer's a badass. Two... Yeah. Like, Josh Holloway really sells the agony of the situation. Like, it's so good. Josh, and then, oh, go ahead. Josh Holloway, we've said it before, I don't think he gets enough acting credit yeah. for this show. Everybody goes, oh, Sawyer's fun. But, like, yeah, there's a there's a lot going into this character. Like, it's, I'm not going to pretend like I understand acting, but, like, there's the emotional side of things. Then, of course, there's the dialect side of things, having to do all of this while still maintaining the accent. Like, that's not easy. Yeah. So, like, again, Josh Holloway, excellent work. Good job. And, like, to cap off the the dark, comedic nature of the scene, just, like, got a Band-Aid and then slump. Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> so guess he good. does. He does pass out. But I feel That's like him going like "f you." I don't need a doctor, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I got <laughs> Sawyer would have done the same thing on the island if the only person who could have helped him was Jack. He, he absolutely like, nah. would have. He would have been like "f you" and would have ripped it out himself. Or he would have been like, "Oh man, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this." Uh, Kate, like, hey, come give me a hand. I don't. I I need help. I need help, Kate. But eventually, you know, Sawyer's raft starts to fall apart. His portrait. Actually, Michael kind of breaks it with some, like, he's like, what are you going to do, splash me? And he splashes the water and the raft falls apart. <laughs> no, I'm going to drown you. <laughs> so Sawyer gets back over onto Michael's because in reality, he knows he could do that. Michael's not going to keep him off of it. Yeah. Uh but eventually they see one of the pontoons, and that's like a sturdier yeah. thing that'll float. And here's what I, I mean. I, Mike Sawyer's trying to, like, row with his hand to get the thing, but Michael's saying it's just going to make, like, the bamboo come loose. I actually don't understand why there wasn't a way that they could have been on either side of that thing and rowing with their arms. Maybe I just don't understand currents or... I don't know. I'm not an engineer. Uh, I'm not a, I don't work in construction. I don't know how boats work. Uh, I don't either. <laughs> I mean, I've been on a boat, but I, I can't even swim. 
That's confusing to me. How do you not know how to swim? I don't, technically, <laughs> I was born on an island, but not. <laughs> You're like, and I'll never leave it. <laughs> not the lost island. So, but eventually, so then Sawyer's like, I'm gonna make a run for it. But if the shark comes, <laughs> then like, shoot him. Shoot, shoot him. And it's a gun that Michael doesn't even think is gonna work because it gotten wet, and Sawyer dropped mm-hmm. the bullets and. And Sawyer goes to swim for it. And, of course, we got the shark coming for him. It's coming right behind him. And Michael just unloads on that shark. I mean, it's not like you're going to need those bullets later for any reason, right? Um, uh, eagle-eyed viewers uh, will tell you that there is a... You're going to hate this. You're going to hate this so fucking much. <laughs> what is it? Eagle Eye I don't know what you're talking about. We'll tell you that there is a Dharma logo on the shark. I'm sorry, what? Yes. On the shark? Yes. Not, not on, like, debris where the, the shark is swimming around and on the shark itself. Yeah. But it's the kind of thing that, like, I remember back in the day of the internet, like, people had, like... You know, they had blown up the photo, and it was dark and blurry, but they're like, there's a Dharma logo. Now, is it actually a Dharma logo, or is that something that the internet just willed, willed into, into being? <laughs> because From- I could definitely see the internet going, zoom and enhance, that smudge must be a Dharma initiative logo. Now, I probably should have Googled this again before... <laughs> We started doing because this, but if this it, is... if it is a Dharma logo, you're right. I do hate that, like, this a lot. Is, I remember this <laughs> from back in the day. Just like how the bird says Hurley's name. Her. <laughs> like, these are things. So dumb. <laughs> now, on the one hand, if what you say is true, it contextually makes sense because the Dharma Initiative did a bunch of animal experiments on the other hand it's also stupid and i hate it because <laughs> it's not I knew like you would. it's not like cloverfield where like they had the dharma logo at like the very beginning of the the found footage thing like that to me is a lot more endearing than like the dharma initiative logo being on this stupid shark what are you even talking about where was it <laughs> I don't remember. I remember this is something I remember from back in the day. (laughs) Oh my god, that's so dumb. (laughs) It's a Dharma shark. Oh my god. What were they experimenting with sharks for? What were they experimenting with polar bears for? Now, wait, 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 wait. They give an explanation for that in the series. For for the. The Polar sharks? <laughs> no, no, no. I need an explanation for the sharks now. Will, well, hear me out. You know how a couple weeks ago we were talking about pitches for new Lost Reboot yeah. sort of scenarios. What if, now hear me out, we have a Lost Reboot that is also a Deep Blue Sea Reboot where it's the Dharma Initiative experimenting with sharks, and what I get to see is a super smart shark then devouring members of the Dharma Initiative. I would actually be 100% down with this. Uh, Someone please make this lost reboot. I watch that. I would watch watch the crap out of that. You know, they say, you know, sharks don't get cancer. 
And a lot of people say we should do more re- cancer research involving shark and shark cartilage. So that's mm-hmm. what Dharma was doing. Sure. You sure they weren't trying to make the sharks smarter, Will? You know, side <laughs> note, that has nothing to do with anything. And then we got to get off of this. God damn this fucking show. I dated a girl. Uh-huh. Who... Her father claims he was cured of cancer just by taking shark cartilage pills. And I had to go with her one day to some house somewhere where this guy was selling these pills. What? And she had to pick them up for her father. And he was like, yeah, they don't, the, the, the doctors don't want you to know about this. Like, the FDA doesn't want you to know about this, but all you got to do to cure cancer is take these car- shark cartilage pills. And she swears her father was cured of cancer from it. What? That, that's, this, <laughs> this is... I mean, this, I mean, the science is shoddy at best. But this, I look, I dated this girl... Look, she ended up developing a cocaine problem. <laughs> there were issues with this girl. What? But this is what she and I went to this I went to this weird house with Will? Yeah. What kind of life do you live outside of this podcast? I live a very rich and full <laughs> life. You're definitely one filled with awesome stories. <laughs> I'm learning so much about our friendship. This is so great. And it's the kind of thing, like, I met someone who believes they could cure cancer. And it's the kind of thing you would think I'd bring up more, but I probably haven't mentioned this in, like, ten years to someone. Holy cow, this happened you... ten years ago? No, 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 this happened, like, twenty years ago. What? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I barely ever talk about it. Holy cow. Anyway. What? Welcome to Shark Tank, the new uh, the new podcast where we talk about all things sharks. Anyway, they both get onto the pontoon, and then we get to that moment where... Are there any shark conspiracy theory podcasts? I should get on there and talk about this guy. Uh, let's uh, let's call up the, the heads at the Podcast Jukebox Network, and we'll, we'll pitch them a new show. The head of the Podcast Jukebox Network knows the girl I'm talking about. What? Yeah. But, so you both have been sitting on the cure for cancer for 20 years? Maybe. How and dare I, you? And now I'm like thinking about people I know who have gotten cancer in this time. And it's like, should I have directed them towards this this probable... The answer is no, because this is clearly nonsense. <laughs> Yep. But you've had the cure to cancer all along, Will. Well, I don't have it. Some <laughs> quack, quack pseudo scientist on Long Island has it. Okay, so the episode. So Michael and him are on the pontoon. And then Michael comes to the conclusion, like, this is my fault. I never should have brought him on the raft. Because mm-hmm. you know what? It was fucking dangerous. Yep. Um, and I, and here's the thing is that like I know we we weren't super happy with Kate's episode you know uh, a little while ago, um, but it's you know that whole conversation that she had with him is probably running through his head yeah um, because she wanted on the raft and she's like oh you're taking your son she brought that conversation up she had bad motives of course of but course. 
it wasn't an unreasonable thing for someone to bring up to him. Here's the thing. Just like Susan, the motivations were wrong, but that doesn't mean that what they're saying isn't right. So, so anyway, let's put a bow on this story because this is running long again. It is. Ah, God damn it. (laughs) But, but, um, that's because it talked about curing cancer too much. (laughs) Tell everyone, everyone, we have to let everybody know the cure to cancer has been sharks all along. They don't get cancer sharks. I mean, the logic's there. (laughs) Foolproof. It's foolproof. Anyway. So they realize the currents bring them back to the island and they get onto the island. And like every. I mean, Sawyer does say, hey, we're home, which is, I think, interesting because I think the only people who would ever refer to the island as home would be Locke and Walt, you know, prior to hopping on the raft. Yeah, but with Sawyer, everything's somewhat sarcastic, right? That's true. That's true. And then, of course, they, they make their way up onto the beach. I saw somebody, I can't remember whether it was a TV show. Oh, no, it was, it was like Bill Maher or something, <laughs> where he did a thing of, like, like he hates when on shows you see people, like, come out of the ocean, and they then, they're, like, crawling on the sand. He's like, walk. He just walked out of the ocean. <laughs> and I was thinking about that with these, these two. Um, I guess the idea is you're so exhausted and you just want to lie down because you can't lie down on the open ocean. I don't know. I, I mean, but anyway, eh, whatever. Anyway, the 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 making it back, uh, the piece of them getting back to the island is short lived because they hear someone, they hear a familiar voice, and it's Jin, and he's all tied up, and he's saying one of the only words he can say in English, which is others, others, and he's all tied up, and they look up, and there are these mob of silhouettes who look as angry as a silhouette could look. Well, and I have to say, like, the only time we've ever seen the others is Ethan from last season. and he Or was, then on the boat. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. But, like, this is such an imposing, because, again, they are in silhouettes, and, like, they're carrying weapons. Like, one guy has a Negan-style baseball bat. <laughs> like, no joke, like, with nails in it and everything. Um... And, like, this is such an imposing image to leave the episode on. Like, or to, to leave on and it's before like we... this threat that we've been talking about and we've seen in snippets, it's like, now have we found the threat full? But the reality is, it's not the others. <laughs> well, there's one other in that group. Is there? Yeah. I've... Good one. I've forgotten gotten so much about this um, maybe I'll... show no no this this sounds good when we get the I... story of the tail section it's really good i'm just saying that this was a great shot to leave the episode on because when when you cut to the the silhouettes it's... it it doesn't do that horror movie jump scare it instead does what good horror movies do and it saves the sound effect for when we cut to black which it, you know it cuts to like, so we cut to these silhouettes, and there is no sound effect. Yeah. And then we cut to black, and we get the lost and we get logo. The... Which is perfect. Which is perfect. Because, like, the worst thing in the world about, like, scary stuff is when it when the jump scares try too hard, and they don't let the visuals just speak for themselves. 
Like, um, and this is a, a perfect example of allowing the visuals to be haunting yeah. just as they are. So good job, show. Can't wait to see how you disappoint me later. They're going to be great. Sure. Sure. The tallies are good. They're good. The fun characters, Mr. Echo. Some of them are. Yeah, I, I love them. So these aren't the others then? Nope. Okay. These are the the spoilers, I guess, people from the tail end of the island? Of the plane. I did not remember that. I had completely forgotten now that. Now I wish I, I hadn't said it to you. I totally thought it was see, the others. <laughs> you're going to see Michelle Rodriguez. I love her. She's the best. Okay, yes, we're going to be introduced to a great group of characters soon. They're the best. I love them. They're way they're they're super interesting. So it it'll be it'll be fun to rediscover all of that. But while all this going was going on, there was another story going on. Yeah, hatch which, shenanigans. Which actually, to be fair, again, I know I said this about the ramp stuff. The mechanics of this aren't are fairly simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, the it sets up the complex stuff that will follow in the next few weeks, but Kate has been taken into the uh, into, the, into hatch. the hatch, and Locke goes down there after, and he takes off his shoes. He's snooping around. He <laughs> sees a lot of the same stuff Jack saw the week before, except we pay extra attention to the Dharma logo this time. Like Locke, like. <laughs> fetishizes it the way he touches the thing <laughs> and he finds kate he finds kate rather quickly only to have desmond show up with a gun in his face basically mm-hmm. and desmond just keeps saying are you him are you him now i wanted to ask you will yeah i i don't know you clearly live a very exciting life outside of this podcast um, <laughs> But I wanted to ask if you were in Locke's shoes. Granted, remove all of the zealotry. You're not John Locke in this scenario. You're you. You're just in this situation. And there's a crazy guy with a gun yelling at you going, are you him? Are you him? Do you say yes and try to bluff? Or do you go, hey, man, I have no idea what you're talking about? If Ghostbusters has taught (laughs) me anything, if someone asks if you are a god... (laughs) You say yes. <laughs> and I it's and it's the same theory in this. So if somebody asks you, if somebody's got the gun on you and goes, Are you him? I think you gotta bluff it. Now, one of my bigger disappointments <gasps> with this episode is that the bluff ends really quickly. And I think we could have had this was a missed opportunity. We could have had a lot of fun. With Locke kind of going along with this for a little while before Desmond well, figures out that he's not him. Well, to be fair, Locke might actually think he is him. Because Locke thinks he's the chosen one at this yeah, point. Well, Locke thinks he's got insight onto this island. And he does <clears> say <throat> yes. and But almost immediately... It falls up, and he's like, oh, she's with me. And then almost immediately Desmond's... Because like, Desmond's like... That's a weird thing. Uh, I'm going to get this code phrase. What did one snowman say to the other? I thought or... it was swimmer. I thought it was, it was snowman. 
I don't know. I, I wasn't watching the captions on this episode. I never watched the captions. And you know what? So many times I don't watch the <laughs> captions. I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what this is. Should I go back with the captions? And I go, the moment's gone. I'm living my life. <laughs> um, I, I For whatever reason, when I pulled up Hulu, it didn't have the captions set to on, which is stupid because it, it's always set to on. So I didn't watch it with the captions this maybe time. Maybe it was Snowman. I don't know. Either way, it doesn't matter because Locke, Locke doesn't, doesn't know the know answer. The answer. <laughs> And he basically, but but Tara Quinn's great because he's got this look on his face and basically, you got me. <laughs> like, 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 I don't, I don't know. Yeah, like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, that I, is I, an excellent question to I, which I don't have the answer Here's for. why I think they should have played this out a little bit longer, though, is like, we're dealing with a, a character who's full of anxiety here with Desmond at this point. Yeah. And I feel like, it could have been fun to watch him spin out as he thought Locke might be the person that he's supposed to. But then again, he might give away the store, so I guess you yeah. can't have him. But basically, Locke's like, look, we were on a plane that crashed 44 days ago. And Desmond kind of, like, it's 44 days. It's interesting because you can see him doing the mental math and going, uh-oh. Because later, <laughs> later, and I can't remember whether it's at the beginning of the season or the end of the season when Desmond returns, but Desmond comes to the conclusion that he crashed the plane. Which I don't necessarily well, know if I believe that. There's a, there's a lot of electromagnetic sh- current running under. Well, we know it can't be true because, because we know this is part of some weird Jacob plan. But God, don't you roll your eyes at Jacob. I'm going to roll my eyes at Jacob. If you keep rolling your eyes at Jacob's plan, by the end of this podcast, your eyes are going to be permanently fixed that way. Then that's <laughs> what it's going to be. Because I will never not roll my eyes at Jacob and his stupid plan. Because his stupid plan for idiots. <laughs> but there is, there is like... But no, no, no. So, but but, but th- go ahead, go is ahead. keeping something legitimately at bay yeah. in this house. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but he's putting together 44 days ago the plane crash. He, he is connecting some dots. And whether, at this point, again, we don't know what happened, but you can definitely see him coming to a particular conclusion. And we don't know what that is. The conclusion that he's coming to is that I did that. But... We don't necessarily know that there might have been some other third party thing going on where he was like, oh, yeah, that was the day the earthquake happened or that was the day uh, the smoke monster attacked. You know, like clearly something significant happened 44 days ago that he's keeping tabs on. Um, We also quickly realized that Desmond is really ill-equipped to deal with this. Yeah. And it's fair because he was not in the Dharma initiative. He's not like, he wasn't necessarily supposed to ever be down in this house. Much like the French woman, he's been alone for so long. And, well, I don't think Desmond's been alone that long. Long enough, right? Well, he's been alone at least 44 days. Mm. Well, because there was something, well, I mean, maybe we shouldn't get to it till we get to the season finale. The, the oh, impression that series, I got uh, just yeah. the the impression that I got the first time I watched it and even the second time I watched it is that he's been alone for a long long time. I thought he was down there with Clancy Brown. He was, but like in well, like what kind of but company we don't is Clancy Brown. Hey, 
Don't you don't you say that about Clancy Brown? He's a treasure. He's great. But um, but no, no, no. Like the impression that I got the first time I watched this episode is that much like the French woman, he had been alone for a long time. That was what the performance was telling me. That was what the the visual shorthands of how disheveled he was was telling me. That's just what I interpreted. Obviously, we find out later on down the line that that's a little bit different, but that's what I got out of it upon a first watch. Now, uh, a couple of things here. He, One of the reasons why you could tell he's ill-equipped for this is, is he basically, like, there's part of him that wants to that wants to believe these people. Yeah. That wants to trust these people. And you see it in the scene where he tells Kate to tie up Locke, but Locke very easily convinces him, like, hey, I'm cool. I work at a box factory. Talking about what I do and don't remember about this show, I will be honest, I don't remember Locke throwing people under the bus so often. But, I mean, (laughs) I, I think Locke thinks this is... I don't think he's... No, I think I, he I thinks can't. he's protecting Kate well, by he, doing this. He also might have been doing his John Locke thing of, I'm going to put you in this situation knowing you're going to get out of it. Yeah. And but, like, at the same time, I'm like, John fucking Locke. But let's be, <laughs> let's be honest. Who's more equipped to talk to Desmond about whatever weird shit's going on? Locke more than Kate. Because he buys into island magic more. Yeah. But, I mean... I don't know. But Desmond is like, uh, okay, yeah. Still, she's the dangerous one tie around. It still felt like such a dick move Oh, to yeah. Me. And Kate thinks it's a dick move. Oh, it's move. a super but, dick move. But Locke, Locke, I think, is legitimately looking out for it. Locke doesn't want anything bad to happen to Kate in this scenario. <sighs> I'm hoping that look, he's he doing knows... it with the knowledge that she's going to get out well, of this situation. Okay, well, let me ask you this. And maybe I missed something, but she has a knife because she cuts off yeah. the ropes. But, did, like, I don't know if he she, knows that. Did he give her the knife? He didn't give her the I knife. I don't think so. Okay. But, yeah, like. I'm trying to find ways to justify his behavior. <laughs> to just, but, like I said, I just, like, on a, on a surface level, I'm like, dick move, John Locke. I don't remember you throwing people under the bus so often, but you really threw under the people under the bus like a lot more than i remember she uh luckily kate's also very limber mm-hmm. she's able to which is a cool movie and tv show thing that i've always wanted to do but never been able to do let me tell you what i see people do that in movies all the time i, I couldn't do that in a million years <laughs> i could barely touch my toes <laughs> it's, you know? it's getting progressively harder for me to do that <laughs> um but they lock Kate in the storage room. And let's just talk about Kate's little adventure in the storage room first. She's in the storage room, but it's completely dark. And she gets out and she cuts on the rope and she turns on the light and she's just looking at the door. And then she finally turns around and it's like, there's all the food in the world is there. I love this moment. Like just the, the, the look of pure joy when she oh. finds a candy bar. So, Oh my God. This is what's so great because Kate looks at the food. But she doesn't, the way this whole scene is played is great, because she looks at the food, she kind of takes it in, and she's walking towards it, and you're like, what is she doing? And then you realize, oh, she's not really looking at the food, she's looking at this event to get out. Like, the food is secondary to this, but then she sees 
Apollo chocolate bar. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I want this Apollo bar. Because at this point, it's been, what, like two months? Yeah. 44 days since she's presumably had chocolate. Maybe longer, you know, being in custody and everything like that. So, so candy. And just to anything other than, like, raw fish, fish and... And occasional boar and coconut and, and, and yeah. uh, whatever whatever other vegetables sort of you can scrounge from the the island or whatever fruit you can scrounge from the island. So yeah, you're right. Then she gets the candy bar and she immediately eats one, <sighs> and the look on her face. And then there's this great little moment where she grabs like two more and like shoves <laughs> them into her. She's uh, like, "I'm taking these." Yeah. It's so good. And it's, she, such a, it's such a human moment. Like, she's still on a mission, and she still has things that need to be accomplished. But she's like, taking these. They're really good, and I'm going to eat them. <laughs> and she crawls up into the vent and where she's going to watch, like, the rest of the action play out for yeah. the episode. Uh, Desmond is really questioning Locke. And he's being honest. And Locke is, yet yeah, being honest about everything with the flight. About which honestly I think is his best play. Yeah. At this point, after Even though, having failed his bluff check earlier. Um, but Desmond wants to know how many of the passengers have gotten sick, because Desmond clearly thinks there's some disease out there. Hence why it said quarantine. Well, it's interesting that he used um, how many people have gotten sick because that's the exact same terminology that the French woman used. That Rousseau used. She talked about her compatriots getting sick. They were getting infected from the smoke monster. Mm, I don't know if she mentioned that. She no, just said but that, that's what we come to know. But yeah. That, there is something out there. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. There's, there's, there's kernels, like, there are kernels of truth to everything that Desmond has to do. But they're like these extreme versions. There is yeah. something dangerous out there but, that can make you sick in a way. Yeah. But it's not this big global thing but, but the terminology he used was specifically exactly what the french woman yeah. had said which is you know Locke wasn't there for that conversation that was a saeed conversation so we as the audience know that but not and it makes you us know those are dots that, that not necessarily john Locke can connect and it makes us think that maybe there is something yeah that i mean we, because we it's, don't know it's the second time we've heard it it's the second time we've heard it and again there is but it's not what you think yeah. just like desmond has to keep punching in those numbers he says it's this to is save the, first the world time. this yeah. is the first time that we see him punch in those numbers and they are the numbers so hurley's mind would have melted oh my god so the alarm's going off. It's time. We're getting close to time to punch in the numbers. So he brings Locke into the room with the computer, and he's like, do you know how to use this? And Locke's basically, this is an old as fuck computer. <laughs> I haven't used one of these in 20 years. That was such a good line. <laughs> and he has Locke at gunpoint. He's like, I'm going to read off some numbers, and you're going to, you know. Type them in. Type them in. And he's given the numbers, the four, eight, you know. And Locke types him in, but then he's like, then hit execute. And Locke does hesitate because he's like, what's going to happen? Because, yeah, for all he knows, he's like, you know, hitting the, the self-destruct sequence on the island or something. Or or the hatch will explode when, when he hits execute. And the counter goes back. Once he hits execute, goes back to uh, 108. Because every 108 minutes, you got to type in those numbers. The numbers equal 108. 
What's wrong with that? Nothing. I'm just very, very tired now. <laughs> the the thought. I mean, look. I mean, there's gonna be just stuff that's 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 just arbitrary, cool little connecting stuff that would be in any story. <sighs> Is all I have to say about that. <laughs> so, every 108 minutes, they got to type in these numbers. Locke doesn't know the extent of it yet because before we could find out more. Jack's back. <laughs> Play your own kind of music. <laughs> and then we basically see the scene play out. From just, a different perspective. From a different perspective. We also get Kate's point of view in the... Trying to call out for Jack, vent, but being drowned out by the noise. By being drowned out by Mama Cass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we see the whole thing play out. Kate's watching. And Jack, again, like, like this guy is fucking Desmond guy. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like you cuz we see that that obviously that memory meant a lot to Jack because of what immediately came after. That yeah. that was an important memory for Jack, but Desmond doesn't share that recognition because for Desmond it was, it was just, just some guy. Some guy met and talked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just some guy he he chatted up during the middle of a workout. Um and that's, so, of course, he wouldn't remember. Yeah. And that's basically the Hatch storyline until we get to next week where yeah. all this is going to play out more and more and more and more. And, and I'll be is, honest, I remember none of it. So it will be great to see how it all plays out. There's one other moment I might as well just throw out there very quickly. Uh, we do have a moment with Charlie where we get the perspective yeah. of them watching Jack's going to go off now. Like, He's like, bye. And, <laughs> together, die alone. Bye. Peace out. <laughs> and Charlie's like, ah, Jack's going to go do something heroic. <laughs> and Claire's like, you're always trying to be funny. He's like, trying to be. And then, and it's some, and Claire smiles at this. Like, it's some, it's some sweet banter. But, it's cute, but there's this real dark undercurrent. <laughs> yeah. But then she's like, oh, what's this? Oh, a statue of the Virgin Mary. He goes, yeah, I found it in the jungle. <laughs> and he goes, it might come in handy. Oh. And we know that that statue is full of, of heroin. heroin. Now, my question is, why hasn't he busted it open yet? Like, well, is he keeping it? I've, I've completely forgotten how this plays out with Charlie. Is he keeping it around because he he knows that eventually he'll give in to the temptation or is he keeping it around as a reminder of what he's conquered it's like a security blanket okay i think that's like, that's what i, I can think. have like, it anytime i want i can have it but i don't it's here but i don't need it okay and then one day he's gonna need it uh... so megan mm-hmm. what is your uh as we do at the end of all things what what is your what is your dark side what is your your man in black Honestly, this is, again, this is such a solid episode um, existing within a vacuum. Um, I do think a potential man in black is this narrative device that, again, if you're not careful, could lead to very sloppy storytelling. Uh, Again, if you're trying to juggle multiple characters at once, I think here it's fine. But for me, my actual man in black is giving Sawyer dialogue that I don't think necessarily belongs to him. Um, and this is this is where, you know, we're doing a podcast. Um, 
this is me being like uber nitpicky. This is not like, again, this is a solid episode. It's fine. It's really good. Um, very compelling, very emotional. But like the scene where Sawyer is telling Michael, how much do you know about boats? Michael built a boat, Sawyer. You did not. You don't know what starboard means. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so That is true. So Sawyer pontificating on all of these things about the boat that kidnapped Walt felt a little hollow to me. That being said, he's smart and can obviously put two and two together. It just felt really weird to me that a character that a couple episodes ago was like, why do we need to bring rations on our boat? <laughs> is now like, what do you know about boats? I'm going to tell you everything I know about boats. <laughs> it, that I, felt a little odd to me. I assumed it'd be Dharma Shark. Anyway. Because I, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I didn't notice the Dharma no, shark, and you're not it. showing me a screen cap of it, so I'm not sure it's real. So if it's real, then it's the stupid Dharma shark. If it's not real, then I'm going to go with the uber nerdy nitpick of this dialogue doesn't sound like something well, that the character of Sawyer would say. I'll do a, a nitpick too. Uh, twice on this podcast, I, I felt like there were opportunities for more one just because i like saul rubinek uh and two that i thought there was there was something they could have played out a little bit more with Locke's bluff i, I thought there were a couple of opportunities i mean i don't know i'm being again, real nitpicky we're, we're being uber nitpicky because again this is a solid episode it's it's maybe a simpler episode because of how straightforward it is there's not a whole lot of depth but it's so well executed that i don't think either of us really mind I guess if I were to pick one more nitpick, it would be what I what I said about this sort of being the end of the Michael Jin son sort of dynamic that basically gets dropped completely. Um, uh, honestly, I love Sawyer so much in this episode. He's got to be my Jacob. I have a hard time picking anything else, too. I mean... For the sake of being different, I could say a lot of the Desmond stuff, but I'm going to be honest. No, it's Sawyer for me, too. Especially just that moment where he goes, I guess I'll stop bleeding. That that to me, that that whole exchange. Oh, I, I will. I will make that my man in white. You know what my real man in black is? What? My real man in black is that the show made me want a candy bar so bad. And I had no <laughs> candy bars in the house. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. I definitely good. was eyeing, um, like, I, I went to, to go buy lunch after I watched this episode, and I was definitely eyeing, like, the Reese's candy bars, like, as, as I was walking up to the checkout line, and I was like, mm, those look real good. All right, well, that's it for another exciting episode of No Love Lost. <laughs> um... Megan, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also do a show uh, with my fellow uh, cohorts at Rooster Team Radio. Uh, we just, we're getting ready to, to uh, at the time of this recording, we're getting ready to record our final episode of Gen Lockdown. And of course, now that Red vs. Blue has started up again, we are starting a show called RVB Recall. And, uh, of course, because uh, we, we cover all things Rooster Teeth there, uh, you can also join our Discord channel. It's a really good time. Uh, go check it out. It's a lot of fun. You can follow me on Twitter at <laughs> The Real Will Link. And um, 
of course, buy my book, Crazy About do Kurt. it, do it's it. It's about it's like kind of an American graffiti or Days and Confused for the nineties. So if you remember the nineties, you'll love this book. If you don't remember the nineties, I think you'll still love it. Um, you can buy it where all books are sold, which is Amazon. <laughs> um, so we will see you next week, and until then, see you in another life, brother. Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me, as always, Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, and so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, far, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will mm. he? Oh, no. Spoiler alert. Uh, not as frequently as usual. <laughs> but you should definitely subscribe to all these shows, rate them, listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, these are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. We're on the same network. <laughs> so yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you listen to us, might as well give us a rating. <laughs> you're already there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>